It only takes a little bit of white brainwash to activate the cool chip in the average Negro. to uh, take a take a note from our previous guest saying that he wasn't really the EST of IWTV we'll name ourselves after the real the real EST Quentin how are you doing today uh, I'm good uh, wrestling is once it's slow slow currently but I guess it's always kind of slow post WrestleMania but my interest isn't really been much in wrestling I joined a organization recently so like maybe it's like that but yeah i'm fine just haven't really been like as much into wrestling lately yeah it's uh post wrestlemania lull i guess it's definitely a thing i thought i was wondering about that because people were mentioning uh, for the network for the podcast network that our downloads were a little bit down comparatively not just us but like across the network and i thought like oh maybe it's like post wrestlemania burnout like that's a thing i've heard people talk about that in the past so it's like oh maybe Maybe that's it. It's weird because uh, you know WrestleMania doesn't mean anything to me. I don't pay attention to it, but it does seem yeah. like there's a there's a lot of like not much going on. Um, but a few interesting notes. Oh, I guess. Hey, did you watch any of uh, the UFC? There was some eventful stuff on this UFC show, huh? Oh yes, I saw. Yeah, I saw, I saw all of that pretty much. I saw yeah. all of that. It was fucking brutal. The way. I... Yeah. <laughs> I. <laughs> no, but this is what like look. I think I thought Chris Weidman was always a good fighter. Yeah. But it always bothered me, like, the way, like, you know, I get it. Silva was getting older, and they were looking for a new person to push, and all that. I, I get it. But it always bothered me how, like, he never really beat Silva in any meaningful way in, like, all the stuff that, like, happened after that. So not by any means saying that it's karma, but it's just like really strange, like how that whole thing came around. Like, like seriously, like obviously, like, I know I, it's not it's not great to do broke his leg, but like, damn, like he beats he beat Silva when Silva was fucking around, and Silva broke his leg, and now here we are. What seven years later? Yeah, 
and then the same fucking thing. It was it's crazy how much it was exactly the same. It's, like, the, it's the exact same shit. Like it was exact. It was fucking nuts. How does that happen? Like this has happened dude, twice bones, in UFC. Bones U- are hard, right? It's happened twice in UFC, and Chris Weidman was in the fight both times. It's fucking he, wild. He's in about. both of them. Yeah, it's fucking wild. And then I hadn't thought about it. I forgot who. I think maybe it was um, Alvarez or Tom, but they m- mentioned like. How the main event, Usman versus Masvidal, was like the finish of uh, of Weidman versus Silva, the first one, where it was like kind of fucking around, not taking him seriously, and then just got caught. Because um, Masvidal had that. Fucking... Mas... What? Go ahead. Masvidal's Masvidal's so weird because it's like I don't understand what makes him what made him kind of like look like he was trying to psych out Usman when he has no leverage on him at all, but also. Usman's counter was fucking beautiful and was some GSP level IQ shit in the way because he because he knows how Masvidal throws that throws that throws that punch and he timed that completely perfectly. Like I I don't I don't get Masvidal. Yeah. I don't get Masvidal, but I'm glad that Usman is continue continuing his uh uh MAGA slaughter run. Yes, thank God for that. Yeah, that was. That knockout was fucking beautiful. You know, it's it's brutality and it's fucking violence and all that. But, like, if you like combat sports, like, that is a knockout for the ages. That shit looked so good. Like, he caught him clean and just dropped him instantly. One there, big there's punch. Not, there's not much better, like, everyone gets dazzled by these, by the crazy kicks and stuff, yeah. right? There's nothing, for me, there's nothing better than, like, a solid fucking punch knockout. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not sure if you ever saw uh, the Cody Garbrandt one from his from his return fight. Did you ever see that? No, no. Do you have to? Uh, you have to. You have, I'll have to send out. it to you after after we. Yeah. Yeah, like Cody Garbrandt's one after he came after he came back was absolutely ridiculous. In a year where like there were some insane knockouts, that was probably my that's probably been my favorite one. Yeah. All right. I'll have to. Yeah, I got to check that out. But yeah. Uh, Big UFC got all the Triller bullshit popping off. Uh, the Paul brothers, mostly I guess Jake Paul right now, making a name for himself doing freak show fights. Like the the combat sports are coming back outside of wrestling right now. I think is kind of the thing. It's crazy to think boxing is a top draw like this again, but uh, also it's like not. I guess it's not that insane. It always works. Fights fights attract people. Have you watched any of the the Jake Paul fights at all? No, man. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's not that's not my thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm not interested in freak show boxing fights, honestly. Like, whatever. also, I don't, I don't want to see I don't want to see fucking Ben Askren get knocked out by Jake Paul. Like, I don't want to see that. Even if Askren is a notoriously like historic historically elite fighter with bad striking, like, still, I don't, I don't want to see. I don't want to see that. Yeah, it's not. It's definitely not fun. And then you've got uh, uh, they're talking about Mayweather and they're talking about. Um, Holyfield and fuck, why can't I remember his name? Golden Boy. Tyson. Um, no, no, not Tyson. Jump, 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 hold, they are talking Hol- about Holyfield and Tyson. Holyfield. Uh, they are talking about Holyfield and Tyson, but I was th- talking about the. Uh, oh, oh, you're talking about De La Hoya. Yeah, De La Hoya coming back. Um, De La Hoya is on a lot of fucking drugs right yeah. now. Yeah. So I don't know if, if yeah. it's the best thing for him to come back. But, you know, I mean, fuck, it's tempting when the money, when the money's flowing and you can, you can physically yeah, do it, it even flowing. if you can't fight. Real quick trigger warning uh, for talk about sexual assault. 
um, skip forward about six minutes if you don't want to hear it. It's, it's fucking, to me, it's disgusting, honestly. I mean, I get it. You make money on it. But, like, you've got Tyson there. There's been really no, he's never, like, apologized or said anything about, like, his crimes and the stuff he did in the past. He served his time. They rehabilitated his image with, like, just by putting him in popular culture. They did that fucking TV he did, show. He, he, did, he did do something. He did some kind of one, he did some kind of one-man show. Yeah, that's what I was uh, say. He did the TV show oh, oh, where, oh, he, where he, uh, no, was, no, like, no, it was the TV show. It was oh. like, no, it wasn't that. There was like he did like some one man show that might have been like on HBO, like however many years back. I remember, I remember watching the shit. It wasn't like some stand up comedy thing. It was like a like a Mike Tyson one man show, uh, and like that's like the only time I've ever heard him address it. And he said he was innocent and all that kind of stuff, which you know, really like at that at that point that I don't, I'm not really from that familiar with, with Mike Tyson's case. Honestly, I don't. I've never. I've never really known known, known the de- known, known the details on that one. Yeah, he. I mean, he was convicted of raping his his girlfriend at the time, um, which is yeah. It was his girlfriend. It was a girlfriend at the time. Okay. Yeah, it was his girlfriend. It was someone he was dating, and uh, he sexually assaulted her. And I don't know the details completely either because it was like when it happened. I was a child, and I've never really like looked back into it too much. I just know that that much of the story. Um, and yeah, and it is, he's always just kind of said like, yeah, like I'm innocent, basically along the lines of the defense just being like, you know, that again, it's his girlfriend. So he's like, you know, entitled. And the time that it happened was a time where like more and more people were probably accepting of, of that kind of argument, you know, like a marital rape argument that uh, it's just not a thing. But yeah, I mean, he's never apologized. He's never accepted that he did it. And yet they're still pushing him. And then at the same time, you've got like on the fucking show that just happened. Jake Paul had been accused like that morning of sexual assault from, yeah, from like, a, yeah, like, a girl. Yeah, like that. Yeah, like that's yeah, like that same yeah, that same weekend, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, and and I guess from what I heard, what the fuck is that guy's name? The guy from SNL, David something or other, um, or something David. I can't remember the one that was dating Ariana Grande. Um, but, uh, Pete Davidson. Pete Davidson. That's it. He made some kind of joke about it as well, like saying something about like, "Oh, didn't you get accused of rape or whatever?" Like, what the fuck, man? Like, God, like, damn. Like, seriously, Triller is just like, oh, whatever. Like, as much as we want to like talk about cancel culture and speaking out and you know, Me Too, like, it does not matter, man. Fucking boxing is right back where it's ever been. They don't mind pushing people. Oh, who, yeah, like, I think, I, yeah. I think the people that, like, everyone has ever talked about, like, oh, you're ruining someone's life and this and that. It's like, okay, if you could tell me whose life has been ruined because, because of this, like, I would really, I would really, I would really love to see it because, like, there's zero evidence to point, to, to point to something like that. At all, and maybe and, and maybe it's a thing where like you know, if you want if you want to view it in a way of like people that are liked for what they do, it's easier to toss someone aside when you don't when you don't when you don't give a fuck about them, right? So there's that there's so there's that aspect of it, but yeah, from anyone that's major people like and people view as uh, interesting or money generators or whatever the fuck like. There, yeah, there's no, there's no evidence of that. Right. Yeah, it's like maybe that guy who who wrote that memo for for whatever fucking tech company it was that he said women couldn't code or whatever. He might be the only person who actually got canceled um, and had it affect his life. But like otherwise, yeah, it's like who who really gets have it has has any real long term negative impacts from it, especially from like celebrities. 
famous people, wrestlers, as we talked about, it's, boxers. Especially because, like, it's not like, especially because, like, it's not like you can take their fucking money away. Like, yeah, they like they might like you might not see a uh, fucking uh, Boardwalk Empire guy. Uh, what's his What's his name? Kevin Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey, right? Like, you might not see Kevin Spacey on like a major film, like a super blockbuster film ever again. You might not see him get like advertisements anymore does that change the millions of dollars that kevin that kevin spacey made like over the over the course of his career no they're not they can't sit there and take it take and take his money away so like all that like life ruining shit just never just never made sense because like it's not like this dude is gonna stop being a being a millionaire however many times over yeah and people people like him people look up to him people are into his his work so so he'll get backdoor deals too, because like I mean, fuck, man. In 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 filmmaking and stuff like that, when you're someone at his star level, you'll always be able to do something. So if they don't, you know, they keep your name off the credits or they do this and that, but you're working behind the scenes, people are always going to want someone like him around, you know, because he's got that he's got that reputation and, and people really like his work. I mean, shit, the people are still arguing about Roman Polanski films right now. You know what I mean? I just heard a big argument about yeah. that the other day, and I'm like. Does it fucking matter? Like, goddamn, the guy is like, the guy has been in exile for how long? And you're acting as if there's any fucking debate about what the situation is. But like, oh, we should just, you know, let his let his work speak. I mean, he's still making fucking movies. So, ah, uh, ah. Anyways, I meant to, I meant to transition from Mike Tyson uh, over into him working with AEW over into the AEW champion uh, having a big weekend. I guess we'll say. Um, but uh, instead, we went off on a diatribe about <laughs> Hollywood and all this other stuff. I uh, mean, like this is probably way more. This is probably way more interesting than us talking about a completely sure. uneventful last couple of weeks in wrestling. <laughs> sure, definitely, that's for sure. Um, I did want to ask you before we talk about that though. Kenny Omega wins the uh, TNA and Impact titles, um, and I just want to know, like, where where are you at on Kenny Omega? Because I feel like there was a time where you were softening on your fandom of Kenny Omega more than I was, and then now I think I'm probably maybe less of a fan of his current work than you are, but I don't know where you're at. Where's your... Let's take a temperature check. Where are you at on Kenny Omega right now? I think Kenny's wrestling is still very good. I think that any kind of criticism of Kenny's work, I feel like... um, Like, if you're someone that likes Kenny, I feel like there's no reason to, like, suddenly not like his work. I think the thing is that you might not like the character. The current the kind of golden boy uh realizing my worth and that i'm the star of wrestling and cocky heel act that he's doing with don Callis might not be the role in which kenny is best suited i don't think it's good but i like it in the way where it's clearly kenny trying to be something that he's not and he looks like a complete dork doing it and I think it. I think that I can still tolerate it because of how much ass Kenny shows on a regular basis. Kenny still. Kenny gets. Uh, Kenny gets embarrassed and stuff like that. And this happened. A, this happened a few different times. So, for me, I don't think that this character is the best use of Kenny Omega. I think that honestly, any character is weird for Kenny Omega. Look, when I've thought about him in a, in a GWE sense, it's like he's not a great baby face but he's also not a great heel so he kind of occupies this space where damn he's a really good wrestler but what exactly is he good at and 
I think that's kind of been the problem so far with this. And we're getting less of Kenny's wrestling. Even though what he, what we've got from him this year has been good. The Phoenix the Phoenix match, the six man tags, the Matt Seidel the Matt the Matt Seidel match. I think aspects of the Moxley and Omega match uh were good other than the bullshit uh pyrotechnics. But I yeah, I, I'm I'm fine with Kenny. I don't have a problem with him. I still think Kenny's a great wrestler. I just think that it's easy to get thrown off by that because Kenny's character is so weird and not natural right now. Yeah, I'm with you on that, and I do think that a big part of it is the realistically, any time that he's gone too far in his character having direct interplay with the Young Bucks, I think it really fucks with his ability to portray a character on screen. Like, any the, the Young Bucks outside of just being like his corner men are like a detriment to to me like the like you're talking about the believability and my personal investment in his characters when he's too closely well, tied well, to them go ahead i say i'll say this i think it becomes a problem when they're heels because i think the young bucks are much, at least in this iteration you could argue about kenny as the cleaner and his run there but i think the issue is i feel like the bucks are better heels than kenny and they've always been better heels than kenny the bucks are career heels and like if the Bucks are having a are having a better story or a uh, or a more interesting in their motivations in their change of demeanor, then by contrast, Kenny going out there looking like a fucking dork doesn't doesn't make Kenny look good at all when he's the leader of this whole thing. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting because people think of Kenny's run as the leader of the Bullet Club as like a a big thing, a touchstone or whatever. But I would say I would argue that like the best. Kenny Omega as a babyface stuff was actually like the ROH on HD net run where he was like this weird fan favorite that people just like went yeah. crazy for the initially showing up. P- yeah. Initially showing PWG, up in PWG yeah. and then like, that's it for like the best of Kenny as a babyface. And I would say that the best Kenny heel stuff, and this is probably crazy to a lot of people is the junior new Japan run. Like, the one that people shit on because I, I of the cleaner. Might, I, might, I might agree with that in terms of like heel. In terms of the heel work, I, I might agree with you. Yeah, like that was to me that was his best time as a heel and his best time as a babyface, and both were like short run situations that kind of got cut off, and then from there, like going into the 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 cleaner leader of the Bullet Club heel thing did not work for me personally. I don't think that he was great, and I do think that it comes down to kind of what you just said there about the Bucks overshadowing him. It's like I don't think Kenny can be a leader of anything especially as a heel because it takes away from him when you are then comparing him the young bucks is a great example of like they're better than him as heels so it takes away from him in that regard and just kenny like having to interact with other people fucks with his character because like you said there's like a there's an element of like being delusional being like he can be a dorky he can be all of this stuff when it's kind of himself and then maybe with a with a corner person like having the young bucks only as corner people but they're not even like treated like fleshed out characters in his narrative or something like um like don Callis, who's just like a manager who like fawns over him um while he plays goofy like it, it works but anybody who's around him who's trying to be a wrestling character themselves and have like a full-fledged like personality just like it just i don't know why but the interactions don't work like it just it takes away from him 
So, yeah, it's just like I don't think that having I think that that's been the hardest part of this current situation is like having the Young Bucks there. So that's why, like, honestly, right now, his better stuff is the stuff that he's doing in TNA, as far as I'm concerned, because in TNA, he's it's just him and Don and then like the Good Brothers sometimes. But primarily, like, that's it. And of course, the, the, the Good Brothers is fucking luke gallows and 2021 carl anderson like no one's gonna no one's gonna outshine him there those are perfect lackeys they're effective heels but they're complete stooges and lackeys as opposed to the young bucks like the young bucks are still one of the best tag teams in the world they're gonna still be wanting to do their own thing and go out there and be the young bucks yeah it's interesting to think about it comparing it to someone like aj styles we've talked about how much we enjoyed the the, you know the young bucks and aj styles trios matches in the past but like AJ Styles was able to be in the trios with the Young Bucks, seem like he's keeping up with them or even outshining them, and and also coming across like he was still a bigger star. And Kenny just yeah, really a- doesn't fit that mold. Yeah, because AJ gives a completely different energy, right? Like even when even with Devitt, Devitt gives a Devitt, Devitt gave a completely different energy. AJ gives a completely different energy. It's weird because we also kind of know the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega history. So this idea that Kenny would be above the Young Bucks is kind of hard to grasp on some level, right? Because it's like, oh, dude, we fucking know that you guys known each other since 2006, 2007. As opposed to AJ, when he meets the Young Bucks, probably he's already been this big-ass star <laughs> in a major company. Like, there's this kind of believable hierarchy. In the Rich Swan versus Kenny match, I'd imagine that it could, that could probably be pretty good, although I think that Rich, Rich Swan post all post all that stuff happening. He's been fine the stuff I've seen, but he, like nothing any anything great. But I've never thought Rich Swan was a great wrestler. Any anyway, how how was that match? It was fine. It was exactly what you'd expect. I think it was weird. I heard uh, Meltzer say like after ten minutes, Swan looked like he was gassed and just completely blowed it blowed up. And I was like, I didn't really see that. He took this weird spike bump on the apron. So so Kenny did like a back body drop, and then Swan like posted on the apron as if he was gonna do like a handspring on the ropes, but from the outside. And uh, but instead, he just kind of like spiked on the top of his head right so i guess if you could picture that um and uh and it was after that was basically swan was selling the rest of the match as if he was like taken out so to me i was like i don't think he's blown up i think he's selling like this really nasty spot that you should like appreciate was like you know the story of the match from there um because from there it's like okay he landed really hard on the top of his head now kenny hits like kreutz wrath um the uh praying mantis bomb you know what I mean? So everything after that is like going after this neck and and he did Kreutz, and, he did Kreutz, he did Kreutz wrath. Yeah, he does Kreutz wrath. Oh, so I, gotta, I, gotta, I gotta watch. I gotta watch it. I gotta watch it now. If he did that, <laughs> just for that, right? Um, yeah. So yeah. So Kenny, Kenny definitely went out of his way because he gave he gave Rich everything. Um, he got big kickouts on all of the big moves, you know, because Kenny was even using the praying mantis mom as a secondary finisher there for a while. Um, so it was like another one where it was like, okay, here's a. He let him kick out of, like, all of his moves, basically, except for the uh, one wing Angel. Um, so it was, like, you know, it was a whole big thing. Uh, Swan was fine, but, yeah, like, I mean, Swan, Swan really felt like, to me, giving him the championship when he won it, because I even watched that, and it felt really like a, like a gold watch, like a, you know, here's, you know, for your service, like, for all that you've done in wrestling, we're putting the title on you, but it never, he, he has never felt like the guy. Um, 
for the company. He's never felt like the best wrestler in the company. He's never felt uh, like the biggest I'll, star. I'll say this. It's weird because Sammy Callahan has kind of been the face of Impact for like... Right. Pretty much for the, the time he's been there. And maybe they don't view that as like the best role for Sammy, but like... It's like that clearly is someone that probably should be the guy there. Yeah, he was out injured. He just he came back on this same show. He had been out. Yeah, okay, I saw that. So yeah, so I I totally get where you're coming from. And honestly, probably building to to Sammy in this position as the champion could have even been better. The only problem would be like you can't really have a babyface Sammy Callahan. Um, like so it wouldn't have made sense because you wanted Kenny as the heel here. Um. But yeah, so so you know the match was was fine. It's worth checking out. Kenny definitely put one hundred and ten percent in there. And like I said, for for character work, maybe not for wrestling, it's not the best Kenny stuff going on right now. But it's definitely the best character stuff for me. Um, is the stuff that he's doing in TNA. Um, so if you want to check that out uh, for that, I would I would recommend it. Here's the thing that crossed my mind because there was a tease, and it's all over the place. People are talking about it, but there was a tease on the show of Samoa Joe. Um, was shown in the package. They showed like a little clip. Um, he's obviously free, and obviously doesn't. It wouldn't really make sense that Samoa Joe would sign with TNA or Impact exclusively. I guess there could be a possibility that he would do it because then he could also sign with ROH or not ROH. Um, although probably yes, but I meant New Japan. Like he could also go to New Japan, which I could see them being interested in him. This is all obviously on the idea that he's uh, he's cleared and can wrestle. But would it be insane to think that AEW signs Joe, but they use him for this storyline to be the the savior for Impact? I don't think that'd be a bad i I don't think that'd be a bad idea. I also think though that it's weird that, and I get it because that those are the promotions that he's most closely associated associated with. But I think it's weird to keep thinking of Joe with the lens of. He should go to Impact, and he should go to, or he should go to ROH. When those are completely fundamentally different companies from like when from when he was over there. Uh, so, part of me is always thinking it's strange. Everyone's like ROH, 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 or TNA, TNA. When it comes to Joe, it's like those are like Dixie Carter isn't even there anymore. Like these are com- these are completely different companies from when Joe was there. He has no. He should like there's no reason that he would have or any type of loyalty or anything to want to go back to TNA and much less so for, for our, for ROH. Um, I think it'd be interesting from a, Oh, I was going to say the people who were in charge of ROH and TNA when he was at either of those companies, both work in WWE now. Yeah. Like I think that, it, I think that'd be an interesting story. I do. Um, the problem is that where do you go from there then? Like, so Samoa Joe saves TNA from Kenny Omega, and then Samoa Joe drops it to some to somebody else, and then they just go back to not being important. Right. It's it's kind of tough, right? It, it is odd to think what you would do there. But like to me, yeah, I think that the way this is about now does Tony Khan is he enough of like a fantasy booker in E-Fetter with you know daddy's daddy's money that he's just trying to tell a, real, a cool storyline because to me that would be the coolest possible storyline you could tell in this Samoa Joe comes back he's left the WWE he wants to you know right the wrongs because of 
Kenny Omega disrespecting Impact, and you could like retcon and say Impact was the first promotion that gave him a chance, and you know he bleeds whatever color Impact is, blue and gold at this point. I don't even fucking know, you know, like, and he just represents for Impact. He wins the title from Kenny Omega to to to, to defend the honor of Impact, and then obviously, yeah, eventually drops the title to to whoever, and then he's just quietly he shows up in AEW. Right, because that's to me. That's the way the the whole thing would go. Is it have to be Tony Khan signs the guy, and he just does all. He's setting all this up, just to tell the story, and then eventually Samoa Joe shows up on on AEW, and he's a wrestler there. Um, that's the thing that like okay, that's the cool story. Does it make any sense? Not really. And then what again? What do you do from there? Who who does Joe drop the title to? You know who? And then where do you like? How do you build him back up? All this stuff. There's a lot there, but uh, but it was something that crossed my mind where I was like, ah, that would be interesting and. If there's any way for it to happen, I think it would have to be through Tony Khan and AEW setting it up, and not necessarily even that uh, that Joe would be signing with Impact. Um, I mean, meanwhile, you've got on the undercard. It's like who who's winning matches on the undercard? Like Josh Alexander won the X Division title, but there's even like rumors that he could be moving to uh, to AEW eventually when his contract's up. Um, You've also got the fact that that frees up uh, Ace Austin. He just dropped the X Division title. Does that are they thinking about moving him up to the championship level? Like for their young guys, he would be in the conversation as a guy who could who could you know move up to the heavyweight championship conversation for them. You've got Chris Bay. I don't know where the fuck he's been. He hasn't been on the big shows recently. He was super hot for them, and then now they just seem to be not using him. Um, which is odd. And you mentioned Sammy Callahan, but on this show he loses to uh, to Trey Miguel. So is it? Do they go with Trey Miguel? He's another guy who could feel kind of like a homegrown guy who's okay. eating his way up. So so what if? Okay. No, now we're now remember now we're looking in a space where AEW is like solidified as, as space, right? No matter what WWE might try to do, AEW space right now is solidified and can only grow from this from this point on. Do we see a scenario in which? Does Kenny have to drop it to someone that's on Impact? Do the, for for as long, for as long as we're getting this, does Kenny really have to drop it to someone that's on Impact? I mean, no, not he. I mean, he doesn't like, but that depends on what Impact wants to do, right? But I mean, he could drop it to to an AEW person. He could drop it to anyone, really. So, so, so my so my thinking is. I could see like Kenny losing the t- like losing the impact belt to maybe like a lower card AEW guy, or someone that's a uh, lesser you know lesser on the totem pole. Like, what if Eddie Kingston won? Sammy the- Guevara. Yeah, or Sammy Guevara. Or what if Eddie Kingston won the impact belt? Like, I think that like I can see something like that first, and seeing how that kind of thing plays out before I could see Kenny Omega loses the fucking James Storm. You know what I mean? Like. Like that, like that. I think that there's gonna be more uh, steps in play there as as this ring goes on. Yeah, like kind of move it down the totem pole before you you give it back to the to to an Impact wrestler, which sucks because Impact it's just like goddamn, like who do, like really who do they have that that is believable? They don't really have anybody who's at that level right now. Like you know, so so I could definitely see. He's doing something like that, having him, having him trade the belt with somebody from the AEW roster, or give you know loses that belt to someone on the AEW roster, and they they 
I guess, maybe defend it in Impact. That's why I was thinking Sammy Guevara, because there was the whole storyline about him going there. I mean, obviously, who knows what the fuck happened with all that stuff backstage, but he was going to go there and do all that, so I, I could see them doing something with him there, but who knows if there's a bunch of heat or whatever backstage because of that. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Any other thoughts on, on kind of this whole, this whole thing? Uh, no. Uh, have you been watching uh, AEW lately? I have not seen maybe like the most recent episode, um, but otherwise I've been watching a little bit. Uh, yeah, but if you want to, uh, if there's some stuff you wanted to bring up, feel free. Oh, okay. I was just saying how like, you know, you like, and we expected it with Darby trying to change his focus and be a weekly TV guy, but Darby might be running might be running away with Wrestler of the Year if this keeps up. Yeah. Uh, between yeah. the JD, and, between the JD Drake, the Matt Hardy match was really really good. I like that a lot. Uh, the jungle the Jungle Boy match. If this keeps going at this rate, and the guy just just to continue going out there and being the TV workhorse, yeah, there's no reason why Darby couldn't have wrestler wrestler of the year locked up. He's delivering every single time. And this is crazy because I don't think that like the voters would buy it buy into it. But the fact that he's continuing to prove to be a ratings draw, and the fact that his matches in the main event are actually are like peaking and, and drawing the most ratings on the shows, he could be a, a pretty like easy choice for Flair Thez. You know, like yeah. he's building, he's having great matches, and he's also drawing when it comes to TV ratings, and that's all that really matters right now. You can't really talk about drawing like crowds. It's like realistically, who do you? Who do you put above him if he's showing that he's got the star power? He's having the great matches. It is like, yeah, it, it, it's definitely interesting to see because I won't say that me and you did like predicted it, but I definitely would say that we were not would not be shocked. Like we were definitely talking about that this would make perfect sense, and it's just it's coming to fruition. Yes, yeah, especially um, uh, it, like, like currently, like obviously, like it'll probably be Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega is the fucking champ in Impact and AEW in AEW Silla. He was gigantic success. It'll probably be Kenny Omega. But Darby, for his role and everything, and, like, you can't deny Darby's role in the, in the success of AEW, as uh, demo demos and viewership will point out, Darby has a legitimate case. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's very interesting because it's... Uh... I mean, like I said, I, I, I'm not shocked because I think we both were pretty high on Darby and thought that he had a charisma that was special, but I definitely think that people would not have predicted it to happen this quickly. Um, and it just goes to show, like, you know, I I, I hate to even say this because I think that people might take it out of the wrong way, but, like, he was a Cody Rhodes project and it's working. You know, he was, obviously we already knew he was talented, but Cody saw it and went with it yeah, and helped Cody, build it yeah, and Cody set this was, up. Yeah, Cody was very clearly aware of the guy and liked him a lot. There's a reason. There's a reason why Cody was the guy that he that he's been most closely linked with. Yeah, and it just goes to show again that like out of all the EVP people involved here, like Cody seems to be the one who who his stuff delivers when it comes to not only in ring but also like business what, what wise. Makes, the things make, that what makes these things cool too, right? Is that Darby is in a really interesting space where. He still has plenty of matchups that you want to see. Like, we've never got we've ne we've still we really haven't gotten any Darby versus the Young Bucks kind of interaction. We haven't really gotten any Darby any Darby versus Kenny. 
Like, that's been completely untouched and should be, like, a big pay-per-view thing one day. We haven't gotten Darby Darby versus Hangman, I don't think, in any meaningful capacity. Even Darby versus Moxley, we've gotten that, we've done a, we've gotten that a couple times, but that could be, like, a pay-per-view main event kind of match or a semi-main event on a pay-per-view. That's what makes Darby such an interesting uh, cornerstone or eventual cornerstone of AEW is that this guy feels like he could, he has still so much freshness to him as to where, like, yeah, once Kenny does this, what is next for Kenny? Or Cody's already done this, what's next for Cody? There's a level of freshness to Darby that I, that he could have for years and years to come. Yeah, and I mean, it's interesting because we were, at least I was, somewhat like questioning the booking on why he wasn't there more regularly early on. And it just again goes to show that like... The booking behind AEW is relatively smart in that they're like they see this stuff and they're saving it for when it's time and they're not really just blowing everything. I've heard people questioning and saying like, oh, they, you know, why do they refuse to do any rematches? Sometimes the big matches they should you know, rematch them. And it's like, uh, I'm not going to complain about them holding stuff off until it starts to feel like they don't have anything. But it's pretty smart when you look at it in this situation that they held off doing Darby versus a lot of people. They siloed him into a certain area. They didn't overexpose him. He wasn't constantly out there just having matches just to have him. And now, like you said, he's one of their top stars. He's drawing the top ratings constantly. He's a champion. He's delivering. And you've still got tons of fresh matchups for him that you don't have to burn until big shows. So, I mean... Fuck, I'm sorry, I'm not going to complain that they don't do a ton of rematches and that they don't just put people out there over and over again against random people constantly because uh, it obviously pays off now where it's time for Darby's story and you can basically do a ton of different things with him and have it all be fresh. Yeah, but that, but that, but that's it But that's it. there, I guess, is terms of stuff that isn't on our actual docket of topics. <laughs> just, just, looking, just looking at it and uh, just, seeing, just seeing Darby over the last few weeks. Man, I I'm really interested, and in, you know this guy could go and if they go back to to Darby Darby versus Scorpio Sky, like I'll be completely interested in that too. But everything that Darby is doing right now, I'm told I'm told I'm totally sold on it. Yeah. Um. Real quick, because I don't think either of us have a ton that we want to uh, talk a ton about. Um. But DDT, they've had a few shows. They had the April Fool's show that unfortunately I think was a kind of a tale of a little bit of polar opposites with a little bit of an under deliver and a little bit of an over deliver in the main event matches um and then they've had a they're kind of their maximum bump tour that had a few things that were a couple of little interesting notes but uh not a ton really that i want to talk about but uh what did you think i guess we can start out with the april fool's show um and realistically as i said the the, the two top matches are really the only thing that matter but what, what did you think uh I think you're spot on in the way the where it's a polar opposite kind of thing and over delivering and under and under delivering. I was really I was really disappointed in Eruption versus uh versus Smile Pasari. You look at the names involved. You look at the names involved, and you're thinking that this uh, should be a great match, and it was good, but. For how good Eruption has been, and for facing Harashima and Okabayashi, two all-time level guys, in my opinion, that it, it, this match should have been should have been better than what it was. And I think that they'll probably have a rematch, and 
have a better match in that, but it was, it, it just never hit that next level. It, it felt kind of uninspired. It felt by the numbers, really. It didn't feel it didn't it didn't feel like any stakes were raised, any real urgency to it, any notable meanness or anything. It's just a good match. And I'll never and I'll never complain about that. There's a good match. Not something that takes away from anybody's case really. But the expectations of man, this is Harashima and Yuji Okabayashi versus Yukio Sakaguchi and Kazusada Haguchi. And it doesn't deliver. It's it sucks a little bit, but it, it, it was still a good match. Akiyama versus Dino. Dino's do once in a while for a pretty strong match. And while I don't like this nearly as much as like say Shuji versus Dino from 2016, or even uh, Takashita versus Dino, and I, I, I could maybe argue that Sasaki versus Dino was better. This is still pretty good, and I can't. I, I wasn't looking forward to this match at all as the show was uh, as the show was coming up. I was only looking forward to the tag title match, but yeah, this wound this wound up being better, pretty clearly. Yeah, yeah. June was in was in form here, and I thought that he uh, he definitely played you know played his role um, really well, being serious, but but also like letting Dino like letting Dino kind of get some spots on him and be sympathetic and and yeah, it was it was executed super well, and it just again it just shows Akiyama is one of these like fucking just all-time great wrestlers i was thinking about it the other day just about how akiyama was realistically just kind of like the reason why he gets overlooked and and not appreciated for how good he was is just because of the timing really yeah he was unfortunately like in between generations in a way that just kind of fucked with him um not just not just not just in between generations like he's coming off of kobashi having this incredible reign and then and then fucking Rikio beats him, and then I think Tawei beats Rikio, and then June beats Tawei, right? Like, after that, like, by the time June gets it, everyone's all, all like, oh, well, no one's top Kobashi, no one's top Kobashi, and everything like that. And it, it sucks. It sucks. Like, they're really the only knock on June that anyone could ever make is that he's not Kobashi, or that he's not Masawa. Which, like, that's not a bad thing. Um, randomly, I had this realization uh like last week or the or a couple weeks ago and i was just sitting there thinking about gwe and the four pillars because i'm like man i really don't feel like re- revisit revisiting the pillars like do i really have that much to really say about them or interesting because in- i'd watched some, some some later stage kawada stuff and i'm thinking about taway and i'm like hmm taway was really good in like 1990 he was good for he was good for about 16 years Tawei's in this Tawei's in the second or third best tag team of all time. I think he's the better work, and I think he's the better tag team guy out of him and Kawada, which is an all time great tag team. He's one of the better heels in Japan from that time period. He has really he has really unique matches. I'm like shit. Did I just talk myself into Tawei being the best pillar? <laughs> like by the end of it, by the end of it, I'm like, wait, hold on. Did I just talk myself into Tawei being the highest <laughs> pillar? <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know if I'm that far into the Tawei, but I'm definitely like pretty close. Um, and I can definitely see the argument. Yeah, yeah, it's more. I don't. Yeah, yeah. Cause I had Tawei in my upper half last time. Either way, like either way, we're talking about four guys that will probably be in like the top thirty for me or whatever, right? But 
I was sitting there. I was like, huh. I never really thought about it that way when I when I when I, when I was thinking about Taiwei, <laughs> and it was like, fuck, now yeah, this right. guy's making me want to go and revisit the pillars and shit, and I didn't even want to do that. I wanted to spend my time watching French Catch and Lucha and fucking night two and fucking early two thousands Puerto Rico, and here we are with Taiwei making me think about nineteen nineties all Japan. <laughs> That's it. Meanwhile, I'm too busy arguing about Alexa Bliss, so. Have fun with uh, Taiwei watching. I will um, never argue about Alyssa Bliss, <laughs> and all of you doing it are fucking insane. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, well, as I said about June, like, and it plays into what you're saying with the with the pillars. Really, the in between generations thing is just that he didn't, he doesn't have the resume that the pillars have because he didn't have a time where he was able to just continue to, you know, like the pillars are special because they had all of those tag team matches and all of the matches with each other, right? Everyone at this point understands that and like it is kind of tough to 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 take that period of the 90s pillars in all japan and like not think about what that means like when you compare it to other wrestlers who just didn't have that ability and june is a pretty good example of that he didn't have three other people who were equally as good as him who all got to know each other super close and got to just have great matches with each other over and over again he just yeah, didn't the, yeah, have the, that. Yeah, yeah, by the time June gets his turn, all, all of them all of them are gone, pretty much. Yeah, they're either starting to break down or they're gone. There are other places because of politics, all this different stuff. So it's just like, he didn't have that. And then by the time like some better wrestlers start showing up that are around his age even, because he was such a, one of the super rookie types who like got into like was in the upper echelon really quickly like it's kind of like okada where like okada now it feels odd seeing okada wrestle people that are his like of his generation because he's been around for so long and he is kind of in some ways stale and kind of breaking down and that whole thing so it was kind of a similar thing with june there where it's like he did not have the ability to uh to then like just wrestle with the people of his generation because he he wasn't like part of that group anymore. You actually kind of see it as well with when I was talking about uh, Takashita and how it, he was very weird in um, in the the sauna coming Kamini because he doesn't feel like he fits in with them, even if they are like probably around the same age as him. Because he feels like he's part of he's in between generations. It's another one of those guys. There's like this happens with these people who like get to the top a little bit like quicker and they're really young when they're like a top guy because they like once their people from their generation start to catch up with them it doesn't feel like they're really with them anymore um so they're not able to have that same level like the reason why the four pillars work so well is because you had four guys that were all relatively close to the same age they all came up together basically and uh and they all were kind of peaking at the same time you know so you had this ability for everyone to train there was a hierarchy and you definitely knew who was like the top guy. Yeah, 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 but like every, but like every year, someone got their story told, or someone had like their own thing. Like Kawada has Kawada has his year, Tawe has his year. Then like Kabashi gets like his like own ascension and all that kind of stuff. Like and Masawa, like you know, can like you know reaffirms his dominance and stuff like that. They would have years where people where people where someone was like clearly like the focus it felt like kind of yeah and they were able to trade back and forth and there was an interplay and there was a dynamic again because of the familiarity and you just have these guys someone like june who just doesn't have that he doesn't have there isn't really a generation of people that you think of as as june's guys you know he just doesn't yeah really that, have is, that. that is weird like who like who are june's con- contemporaries like his contemporaries are like fucking realistically like the 10 like the 10 times kojima's yeah 
Yeah, exactly. So, um, so I just, yeah, I, I was thinking about that and just how being that in between area can really mess up like kind of your, your legacy, I guess, even if you have like a great body of work and you're a phenomenal wrestler, you don't really have the, uh, the ability to build up this legacy because you don't have like a part of the storytelling of wrestling is having the interactions with other wrestlers. We've talked about yeah, other before, but yeah, like other, with other like all time great level guys. Like, yeah, how do you compare when like stacked up to the other all time greats that we view in that level? In Akiyama, the perception is that he wasn't ready to bear that torch after everyone else's bodies were breaking down or their time or, or their time was pa- or their, or their time was passed like and, and the thing and it's, and it's like a similar thing with Tawei, right where like all the years of Tawei and like boom, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna include masawa and kabashi and kawada in the hall of fame but routinely just like act like Tawei doesn't exist like Tawei what like Tawei wasn't in all these it wasn't in all these matches and i get it like what like Tawei doesn't have Tawei doesn't have like a Kawada Hansen and he doesn't have a Kabashi Hansen or a Kabashi versus Doctor Death or whatever. Like I get it, I understand, but it's like, are we really gonna act uh, sit here and leave Tawei out? Like your fit, like these quote unquote best tag team matches ever just don't have Akira Tawei in them, <laughs> right? No, I mean it is it's crazy how much he gets overlooked. But I mean I was thinking about this the other day as well that I had I I had a little bit of the the kind of like. Um, reverse bias thing like the uh the like oh i'm a smirk i like good wrestling so that means that all the big wrestlers are bad i kind of was thinking about that the other day i was like oh yeah i remember that being more of a thing and i remember that specifically being like something that i maybe subconsciously bought into where it was like you know oh yeah like the you know there's all the big guys and they get pushed on the top but actually the good wrestlers are the small guys this is like wcw cruiserweight mentality and stuff like that where you would think that way from like being online and being like actually they're much better um, and you know, I can definitely see why, why people like, cause Tawai was kind of the giant. And I think that probably people think of him as like, oh, he was just there because he, you know, he was big and it was imposing and he probably wasn't as good as them, you know, and it's, people love to think like, oh, it's so much easier for the big guys, but there are big guys who are really great wrestlers and Tawai is one of them. Um, did you watch, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I, 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 I don't know if you had said anything about the tag match. Oh, uh, yeah, disappointing. Um, but, you know, not terrible. But definitely, I I was really built up because I, for some reason, thought that this was announced as being on that big joint show, the Cyber Agent oh, big okay, show. Oh, okay, 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 okay. So I assumed it was going to be treated as a big, important match. So then when this happened, I'm kind of like, fuck. And then that's why I was going to ask you, even on top of that, if you watched any of the stuff from the Max Bump tour, um the 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 show on the 18th or no the 15th the show not... with uh uh Hirash, the show with Hiroshima and uh Okabayashi versus uh um Akoshi and Akiyama yeah that was the the show that's the one that I care more about there was another show before that that was on like the it was on the 15th I've, I've, aired on... yeah go ahead I I I haven't seen I haven't seen any of it I, like okay. I got thrown off because I saw like it was like a whole tour and I didn't know, you know, uh, how many like good matches or important matches we were gonna get on this yeah. thing. But now I'm looking at this 18th show and it has uh, Okada versus Endo in the tag title main event. So yeah. I'll probably I'll, I'll at least check check that out. 
yeah, I'll say check those out. I've watched, I've picked and choose, I've picked and choose through everything, and those are the only matches that matter. Um, I, I'll say that, yeah, like I thought that that the the, the piss smile versus Junritsu match was better than the uh, eruption match. So definitely recommend checking yeah. that out. Um, and one thing that stood out to me was the that like I don't know why, but I like Endo so much more just not being the champion. Like I thought he would. I thought him being champion was probably the most I ever liked him. I'm. I was kind of the opposite. I was. I was really not invested in him as the champion. Um, I thought he had some good stuff, and there was some decent matches that he's done as champion. But I think that I just. I there was kind of a negative opinion that I couldn't get over in my head of him with the belt, and him as the champion. That like this the Okada match was like I was like really into it. So I'll say check it out, see what you think. But to me, it's just like there's an amount of like in my head like a certain standard and a certain like pressure that I hold him to as the champion that I think makes me kind of dislike him a little bit more than than this where it doesn't feel like there's as, it's not as important. I guess I'll say I'm not holding that certain standard up. Like I just appreciated it more. So I'll say check it out. But if you liked his, him as champion, then maybe you won't see it the same way as me. Right. Um, Limitless Wrestling. I thought about this as we, uh, as you mentioned, reviewing it, because we were talking about like what's going on in the indies that's worthwhile. We review. I reviewed Limitless with Pete a couple weeks back. Um, I don't know if you listened to that podcast, but we watched uh, the Double Vision show that had um, Daniel Garcia winning the championship. And I will say, like, Limitless has been pretty good. We've been talking about like what's going on on the indies, what's worthwhile, everything sucks, but Limitless has been pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah this, this, show, this, show, this show was good. Yeah, this show, this show was good. This show was better yeah, than Limitless I expected. Limitless has actually. been solid. Me and Pete both really enjoyed Double Vision. Um, they've been doing their, their, their TV show, their weekly show on IWTV that's called like The Road. It has like... I mean, they're not all worth watching, honestly. And there's a, like it, every now and then there's good matches, so it's like just pick and choose stuff that sounds good to you and just watch that. Oh, <laughs> that's how I'll recommend it. But the bigger shows, the name shows like this, really solid stuff. Um, opening up the competition versus Waves and Curls, uh, saw the saw the competition. Kind of, I, I don't know if it was like they debuted, but I thought I could have sworn they like referenced like they were debuting on the last show that we watched. Um, at least maybe debuting as a tag team. They were pretty good there. Really good here. I like them as heels. Really like easy to hate. Um, the kind of you're kind of doing the odd couple tag team with them, uh, with Champ being kind of cocky and and smooth, and Murphy being kind of like the fucking loose cannon wild man. Um, Waves and curls, fun kind of like you know that tag team of like we like to have fun guys and they you know jumping around kind of remind me of the early days of uh the street profits they're, they're likable um, they're very but, they're very likable yeah likable charisma but haven't quite put it together yet like i said like the early street profits stuff where i could see something there street profits are obviously much more naturally athletic so like they were like a better team as soon as they were starting out but definitely like a similar vibe but what did you think of uh what did you think of this match Oh, I I like I liked it. I was definitely uh, impressed with the heel side, but I found myself I found myself more intrigued and enamored with waves, waves and curls. I thought they were I thought they were very very likable. Even you know if it's kind of basic fun loving kind of stuff, you know it, no, it's harder to make it's harder to get, get it's harder to like a babyface than it is to hate a heel or think that someone's a good heel. And I think and I, and I came away be, thinking that they were likable that they were likable guys and. I would I like to see more of them. The uh, 
what they call the the comp the competition. The competition, yeah, weird name, but I but yeah, I, I like I like that team. I think that they, I think that they're like as far as like the uh the males the male side of the tag teams, they're probably one of the better ones I've seen come out of come out of Limitless. I, I like I like that a lot. Yeah, they were in like a trio <laughs> or a three way tag team match um, that I think they won on the show that we watched, and they were again like I said like kind of being debuted and positioned as like a like a, the the next team or whatever like the up and coming team it was pretty good um follow that up because that's like the kickoff show which i always find funny that these kind of shows have to do kickoff shows nowadays um but you start the main the main show proper here we've got uh matt mikowski versus travis huckabee um quentin what did you think of this one well this was really really good mikowski's uh, one of the one of the bigger more interesting names currently but travis huckabee should get more opportunities, man. He's really, really good here. And for as good as Mikowski is, I thought Huckabee was the much better wrestler in this, and Huckabee was excellent in this match. Yeah, Huckabee was phenomenal here. I love the way he was grinding on the legs. That fucking, like, um, like step up like it's a shining wizard, but he just stomps down on the knee. Scott, yeah. that was awesome. Um, yeah, just stepping on the feet, grinding, twisting, working over the legs repeatedly. Arm ringer into the just, like, trip kick, like, repeatedly doing unique and interesting leg attacks from Huckabee. Phenomenal stuff. Mikowski, yeah, like, I think that there was a point where I kind of, I, in my head, I thought of Mikowski and, and Garcia as, like, kind of, uh, you know, guys in the same lanes, in the same roles when they were first early on breaking out. But Mikowski has definitely, to me, has started to really break out. Um, and I, I honestly think I'm starting to think that I like Mikowski more. Be, uh, more than Garcia. It's weird to even compare them. It's like kind of pointless. But this, he's showing like a lot more depth. I think and we kind of talked about it last week or the week before with Dan Makabe on here when I talked about the way that he can work to his settings a lot better. And this was another one where I had never, I had not seen a lot of selling out of Mikowski, but but here selling the leg, being the underdog. I thought he did a really great job fighting from underneath. Um, and it's something that I hadn't seen a ton of from him up until this point, and I really appreciated how well he did that. So Huckabee, phenomenal worker, like you said, definitely deserves bigger shots and more chances, more places. Um, it's interesting because he's not that old. I mean, I remember just a little while ago when he was like a rookie. It doesn't maybe maybe I'm just getting old and I don't realize how old he is, but but uh, I feel like I remember him being a brand new a brand new guy not too long ago. But he's growing into like kind of fe- feeling like. You know that Dave he, he Taylor like, Fit Finley he, he, kind of he feels thing. Like a, feels like a vet. He's only been around for he's only been around since 2016. Yeah, so he hasn't. He's not that old, but he's starting to grow into like kind of having that look and that vibe of one of those like those kind of guys, the grinders. Like even uh, like a Gulak kind of had this vibe too. And like Gulak's not that old either, but the guys who come across older than they are come across like a vet, and they come across kind of like gritty and brutal. And he is a guy that more places should uh, should be booking. And, and that's a, that's both a, these guys, honestly. That's a really that's a really good compliment to give somebody that they feel and come across much much more tenured than they actually are. Like that's I mean, what you think about it, that's probably one of the better compliments that you can actually give somebody. Definitely, definitely. Follow this up, uh, Scrunchy Squad versus the Sea Stars. I um, thought this rule. I don't know why. I thought this was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this was an interesting one too. And and like I said when we reviewed uh, the last show, Becca was was. Uh, she was in a singles match, and it was kind of a Pete kind of 
said like oh you know there's like something to her that stood out like he really liked her and it's interesting because she's playing this character that feels like it should be a baby face but she's doing it as a heel um like it feels like it should be one of these meme wrestlers like dahlia doom or um or even like the bailey thing you know what i mean but like she does it as a heel and it honestly makes it really interesting and it works because like it's not just being like a dumb meme with the scrunchies and all that stuff it's like a little bit more psychology to it it's honestly kind of in some ways like heel doink you know that idea where it's like a clown who's a bad guy it's like it kind of works in this weird psychological way um so yeah and Devianne obviously really really solid worker so her kind of covering up for the fact that becca is like really green <laughs> and but like has definitely has something there there's definitely personality and she she gets the psychology i talked about it when we were reviewing on, on, on with dan the like um emotional intelligence becca has it she's not quite there and i don't think she completely understands everything she's doing but she definitely stands out and so having her team with devianne is perfect because yeah like devianne is able to do the wrestling and all of her stuff looks really good snug aggressive brutal violent um and then yeah and obviously the sea stars like not a huge fan of uh, Delmi. I always think it's really weird that Delmi got the tour of Japan and fucking Vox hasn't. Um, yeah, but, but Vox Vo- is so good. Vox is awesome. I, 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 I love I love I love Vox, and I thought that the interactions between Davy and, and Ashley were here, Ashley here were really good. There was one like brutal spot where Ashley got like uh, baseball slid into the ring post. It looked like, and that looked yeah. insanely brutal. Yeah, that was nuts. But yeah, feel free to, to any other thoughts you had. Uh, no, that's 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 about it there for me. Yeah, I think that Vox is clearly better than Delmi, but I think Delmi serves a, serves a role there. I would like to see Ashley more as a singles act, but it's also refreshing to see more see women's tag teams. So like, there's I, I can't really complain too much on complain too much on that. Uh, I probably I probably want to see more Davian versus Ashley Vox though if I had to pinpoint a matchup that interested interest me the most coming out of coming out of that tag match yeah clearly the better wrestlers of the of the whole thing but but their 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 partners were bringing the personality and helping with the story like delmi playing the the face in peril and doing most of the selling was like was was good and it was necessary for the story because you can't you know what i mean you need it like you need that person even if vox is clearly the better wrestler you still need the person selling and bumping and and building up the storyline so yeah i mean solid stuff you know and like i said becca there is something there like i when pete was like saying that he was actually really interested in her on the the last show i kind of i wasn't quite there i thought she was fine but now i'm kind of seeing it and then now it's like you also saying oh this tag match was really good it's like yeah like there's something there like she definitely uh she definitely has something um tyree taylor versus tj crawford um i don't know if you've seen either of these guys before but what did you think of this match quinn uh it was it was actually it was good uh no i wouldn't say any any of them left like a left a big left a big impression on me to the point where i just like as we're looking at as we're looking at the match things i'm like who the f- like which one was this match and i'm like oh, okay this was this was good i can't say that either these guys left left too much of an impression on me being the first time i saw either either of them i guess the one that stood out the most of me is probably tyree taylor but this this was this was solid and I can I think both of these guys are probably look at least decent but I'm not I'm not sure if uh you know you're probably more familiar with them 
if either if either of them are some people that are on your radar at all. I've seen a little bit of T.J. Crawford here and there. Has never been anything that stood out to me, but this is why something like this that Limitless does actually helps, um, because he cut a pre-match promo, and then he brought the energy to the ring that I really appreciated, and I was I got into him, and I was like, okay, like he is, he's a guy who we need to see this personality because while he's in ring wrestling, you're not necessarily he's not necessarily bringing it as much, but yeah, the pre-match promo I thought he brought a personality that was like. Like, infectious, got into him, and then when he brings that to the ring, I'm like, okay, now I'm, like, bought into this guy. So when we get into the match, he's he's realistically, he's playing a really good underdog babyface here um, when you're invested in, in the, the personality a little bit more. Um, Tyree Taylor I've seen a couple times, and I, I'm definitely a fan. I think that he uses his size super well. He comes across, like, a powerful, strong, big guy, but he can also sell. Um, he doesn't like just give everything away. He makes the person who he's, who's wrestling earn everything, which is like usually pretty tough for for wrestlers to learn um, and pick up on that. He makes his big spots mean something. Um, so yeah, he's a guy who, with a little bit more fine tuning, I think could could definitely be one of the top big men because he's able to wrestle really well as a big man already. Um, but uh, we'll see where they go from here. Follow that up. Kevin Blackwood versus Robert Martyr. Um, I guess officially endorsed by the podcast network, Robert Martyr. We have to uh, we have to give him all of his the respect that he deserves. Um, but uh, it's so interesting. Wait, to, isn't he like oh, a God. fucking Mecha Wolf training or something? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, kind of. It was a whole fucking thing. He. So this was a recent blow up on Twitter, I guess, and and people obviously aren't gonna just let it go but yeah like he he was calling out uh chasing rance which like you know good on you call it chasing rance he's he fucking sucks um and then it was like you know this you someone dug up old tweets but it's not even old tweets it's just pictures of him and training with mecha wolf or you know you know giving props to mecha wolf and it's like oh is this you you're fucking a mecha wolf student but you think that chasing rance is bad which it's like I mean, I don't know. <laughs> is it worth comparing the two things? They're, everything is fucking terrible, whatever. You know, like, I get it. Um, so, yeah, that was the whole thing with that. And he, and he I mean, he stuck up He st- stuck up for Mecha Wolf. So, Mr. 450, um, you know, he, he, he definitely didn't shy away from that. I don't, so I don't know, because he started out, this whole thing started out with him saying that he went for training at Trace and Rance, and got turned away, so I guess that he then turned around and trained with uh, with Mr. 450 Mecha Wolf. Um, but he doesn't wrestle like he was trained by Mecha Wolf. It's like, I don't know if that's like the extent of all of his training. He feels like a guy who's continuing to try to like get better. Um, I honestly like his style, obviously. He seems, um, he seems like a guy, he seems like a, like a kid that like learns a lot and like watches a lot of stuff to like learn like yeah. based on what i've seen, seen about him on on twitter i, I just did I, but yeah I didn't, I, I didn't i didn't really know the whole story on that one yeah he definitely puts in work he's watching the tapes um you know and i can't i can't hate on him too much i get it like you know you ride for who you ride for i don't me personally not a fan of mr 450 i think that 
every person who I've ever heard defend him doesn't make a really suitable case as far as I'm concerned to, to really point to anything that makes me think that he's not an asshole. Um, everything I've heard of really to me just like reinforces the idea that he seems like the kind of guy who thinks the way you solve your problems is with violence. So it's kind of interesting that people love to use that as their excuse for why he's not a spousal abuser is that he likes to use violence to solve his problems because to me that seems uh, counterproductive for the point you're trying to make but most people miss the forest for the trees in those situations um, either way either way, uh, I've, com- th- 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 I've compared th- Martyr to like yeah. a young Drew Gulak in the past I think that he kind of uh, reminds me a lot of, of, of Gulak um, and he's I think he's clearly going for that um, I've really really liked Blackwood recently um, and I, I like Blackwood and Garcia together as heels a lot more than I like either of them um, outside of that context. We'll talk about it in the main event a little bit more, but uh, I think that those two playing this this heel unit is much better for them, and I think that they should stick with it. Uh, that said, this match... Uh, I don't know. Maybe it is the martyr thing and, like, whatever. Like, he's 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 trying to, to learn and, and all this, but this kind of felt like these guys watched a ton of stuff from the WrestleMania weekend and were trying to do most of it. Um, but that's not to say that it was bad, and they executed a lot of stuff actually better than some of the shit that you saw over the weekend. Um, but that said, it just it really felt like they they didn't. It wasn't like a terribly long match, but it also felt like they were trying to put a ton of stuff in here. Um, but what did you think of it? I mean, I, th- I thought it went by pretty. I thought it went by pretty quick. I thought that uh, it went well in the way of establishing Blackwood as kind of his own guy and. Um, Giving him and making sure he that he has his own he has he has his own credibility as well and it's not just Daniel Gar Daniel Garcia's boy that's in his corner. I kind I kind it wasn't like a total squash, but I like the aggressiveness in which we saw Blackwood and 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 everything there. That I I thought that Blackwood looked really good in this. That was my, that was my main takeaway, um, and it made me think maybe the best answer here for Garcia's title run is maybe to try to build to Garcia versus versus Blackwood because I thought he was I thought he was super impressive here and gave off a real violent mean aura especially now with the with the heel act that they're doing with the, with that they're doing now but I I I can, I can see what you're saying I thought this I thought this match went by, went, this match went by pretty quick no okay so yeah I think that I think that the way that I said that possibly led to you misunderstanding what I meant, which was that I felt like they put a ton of stuff in the match. I wasn't even trying to say oh, the match okay, was okay. long. I meant like they were trying, they were kind of rushing to do a bunch of stuff in a relatively short match. Okay, I gotcha. Like, gotcha. that's what it felt like, like I said, because it felt like they saw a bunch of cool shit over the WrestleMania weekend and they were like, I'm going to do all the cool shit. You know, like that was kind of what I what I came away with. But that said, it wasn't bad and it, the execution was really was good but i think that i've seen martyr have matches that were a lot more toned down than this and i appre- i liked those better from him but as i also said like i like blackwood a bunch and i think that blackwood doing like high octane fast violent matches is actually kind of his bread and butter he's a guy who i've compared him to kevin koo before but i think that he's a guy who should watch a bunch of kevin koo tapes and just try to wrestle like that because it's kind of more the vibe of what i think he can do um really well and I'm with you that, like, I'm not saying that I think that Daniel Garcia and Blackwood are better as a tag team. I'm saying, like, I like them better in this role with them as heels together as two singles guys. Right. Like, yeah, so I'm with you that I think that, like, this works and could build to, like, a big, like, blow up between the two. But the way that they play off each other is really good. Um, 
Ava Everett versus Ricky Archer. Um, I don't, I, I don't know. Quentin, what do you think of this one? I don't know. I, I like Ava. Um, I guess Archer, what Archer wasn't, Archer wasn't bad here either, but it really felt, it, it, it didn't feel like, uh, that the control segments and heat were as compelling as they should have been for the kind of match that they were going for. And I think that like held it back, even if the execution I felt like was pretty good on, uh, on moves and sequences and stuff like that. I thought that the control segment being good and stuff and everything, that's what holds a match like this together. And that's not, and I don't think that's what we got here. Yeah. I think Ava, I, I like her doing this heel character more than I liked her doing like the, the Ava taker or the, you know, that nineties kid gimmick, all that stuff that she was doing before. But I don't feel like she's committed to the heel character when she's kind of wearing the same gear and doing the, you know, the all that Ava, like, kind of look and vibe. And, like, if she's going to to do this, I think I need to see a little bit more of a switch in her yeah. overall presentation a lot more to really, like, buy into the heel character. Um, but that said, I think that she might be better off sticking with the heel character. It might actually work better for her. Um, she's still, like, so new, too, that, like... Maybe, I think that honestly, even if this might be better for her, I think that she might have switched, maybe switched to being a heel too soon. Yes. Um, yeah, she should have been more dynamic in, in her transition. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think that's, maybe that's, that's part of it here too. Even if she's, even if she's good, which I, which I, which I believe like, or could, or could potentially be good at this. I think that she wasn't ready for this either. I think that you, I think that, especially when you're so new, you should have more time as a baby face under your, under your wing and like get the, get the big, get those basic aspects under your, under your control first, especially for Ava, who just has a likable look to her to the point where if you're going to do this, you have to change your whole look. Like everything that you've presented so far is a completely likable, fun wrestler. So you should like, you should have to change that whole thing. Like I'd point to like Dakota Kai, right. And, this in in the in the change we saw from Dakota Kai, uh, as Evie and as the babyface Dakota Kai that we got in NXT to the mean, violent heel that we got during her during during her initial heel turn, and that would be someone that I think that Ava Everett should watch if you're gonna make a switch from your quirky babyface, uh, days into into a heel. I think that Dakota Kai should be someone that you should, that you watch. Yeah, that's definitely a, a great shout for someone who was able to pull that off really well. And yeah, the, on top of, I mean, it really helped her that she had a, a friendship storyline that she could play off of too to help kind of have that equity. Oh, that's a word I haven't said in a while. Um, the built up to to people buying into the turn more when it happened. Um, it feels like they're kind of trying to force it here with the story of her and, and Davian and their friendship, but I just feel like you're not as invested in that. It's not as high profile of a thing um, to then buy into the turn. You also didn't really see like a particularly, you know, egregiously evil turn moment to happen. So yeah, like a more gradual turn that felt felt a little bit more uh, cathartic and like actually led to something would probably have been a lot better. Um, and that said, I mean, also like, I, 
I'm all for like trying to broaden your horizons, but I do think that some of the stuff, like especially the Dragon Sleeper, like she just doesn't come across like she's really executing it super well, and it just feels super forced. And I think that she should be working more for holds and stuff that work with not just her body type, but also like the style of wrestler that she is. Um, people just like go out there and they like do cool holds and don't really think about like what what works for them and the type of wrestler they are. And the other thing, and I hate to call this out on this match because I've been seeing it a ton and it, it's really really just like kind of grinds my gears to see it it wrestles my jimmies um so many fucking wrestlers nowadays are doing body scissors and and crossing their ankles in front of their opponents and it's just like it's really infuriating for me because it's like such a fucking like just a poor poor execution and it just like leaves you wide open for someone to like you know obviously cross the feet and pull forward and 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 I don't understand why no one fucking sees it and does anything about it anymore. They all just like let it go. But I see so much, so many body scissors with crossed ankles, where I'm just like, you guys like cannot be doing this. It just, it really just makes everything look so fucking fake. Um, you know, you can do the like the figure four where you put the the foot in the crux of your knee. You know, so it's like a little bit more believable. But yeah, either way, they're gonna, um, turn, gonna gonna turn into boots and trunks. But like, really, like, I mean, it sucks that like people like really just aren't good at just like making a hold look good yes <laughs> like yeah i know like like that like that's like that sucks man like that's like such a basic thing it's like why is it so hard to just make a body scissors or even like a like a like a headlock or whatever just look at it look good it's really weird i know yeah yes but if you want more of old man shouting at the clown listen to boots and trunks to get the the real dirt where they put where jamesy puts an actual effort into talking about this stuff not just me randomly pointing out that i'm so fucking annoyed at how often i keep seeing this lately but i keep seeing it and it keeps pissing me off um follow this up and this is a match that there's not much to be mad about <laughs> jd drake versus rip bison um I uh, messaged Pete. I want to get his opinion on this because we saw Rip Bison on the show that we reviewed last time, and he was not—he didn't buy into Rip playing this kind of role where, where he's kind of like the in between. He's kind of the the you know bruiser weight kind of not quite a big man, but not quite a small man kind of guy. Um, I thought JD Drake is so fucking good. Like we've talked up JD Drake a bunch, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about the the, the post match stuff on the main event, but like. He is so great in this role that I felt like he really brought Bison up to his level. Just the back and forth, the give and take, the violence, the aggression. Um, it made me buy into Rip Bison a lot more than I had on the previous show. So that's why I wanted to see what Pete had to say about it. Because I'm like, okay, like if you see this, I think you could buy into Rip Bison. Because JD is just so fucking good. Like He makes you like live and die for everything. Like Big spots, big transitions, the control... The aggression execution jd drake is a guy just like god you wouldn't think you don't think about it when you see a guy like him but every every movie he hits is just looks so so good like you know it's got got just like perfect execution on everything he does his selling is amazing his big spots his strikes everything he does looks good like jd drake is just his, so, his, his, his signature spots are great yeah he is just so like t- dialed in as a wrestler this guy everything he does is believable you t- like you said talking about believability i mean everything jd drake does looks like it hurts everything jd drake does like looks clean looks like it's being performed by an athlete like a, like a professional fighter even though he looks how he looks he's like big kind of you know fat blue collar badass he calls himself the guy just like has a great look for, to me because he just looks like the kind of the kind of outlaw, the kind of badass that you could only see in wrestling, you know. 
And that's why wrestling was great. Like, that's the thing. I mean, you know, bodybuilding and, and people really toning and, and all that stuff really came into, like, popularity more and more through the 90s um, than it was even early on. But uh, but that's why wrestling was great, because you could have outlaw-type guys like this who don't look like those kind of athletes, but they can win in a fight. But, uh, Quentin, what did you think of this one? No, I thought, I thought JD was great in this. And for someone that hadn't seen... Uh hadn't seen bison before i thought i thought they looked good in this and maybe that's a testament to, to drake it sounds like you're bought into bison uh more so more so than pete is but i i saw i saw this and i thought this guy looked good being in the ring with someone like jd drake and part of that is jd jd knows how to give and knows how to make someone look good especially in these big bruiser kind of matches he knows how to get his in and make himself look dangerous but also give enough, enough credibility to his opponent. So I don't know how much of that is JD just being a great wrestler, but I really enjoyed this. Yeah, Jade. It's crazy, too, to think, like, you get the post-match promo from JD Drake, too, and he is just so, so good at every part of wrestling. I mean, he is so great on the mic. It's another one where I just don't understand, like, why people, why he's not like all over the place signed multi whatever like if you're if it's about wrestling it's about people who are good at wrestling jd drake is phenomenal at every part of wrestling the guy is so fucking amazing in ring the guy is so good on the microphone i i've told this story probably a dozen times but when i saw him live and i was such a huge fan it was a work horseman match and he comes out and he's cutting heel he's working heel because they're out of towners you know they're in southern california and they're southern boys from you know from uh I don't know, South Carolina, North Carolina. Um, and he comes out and he's working heel on the mic. And I was just like, I have never seen JD Drake work heel really at that point. And I was just like, oh my God, he's so good at this too. He's so good at everything. And uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Follow this up. Main event. We've got the champion, Daniel Garcia, going up against the other champion, but not from this company, the IWTV champion, Lee Moriarty. Um, Feels like the battle of the the overhyped indie indie darlings right now, uh, and it sucks don't do because it, don't do, don't do that to Lee. Uh, I was I, well, I, I was just gonna say it sucks because their last match was so much better than this one, you know. Yes. And I don't even really mean it. I don't think that Lee or Daniel are overhyped. I think these guys are great, but I think that if you came into this match and this was what you're seeing after the big WrestleMania weekend where everyone's saying these are, are the guys, and you yes, saw this okay. match and you didn't see their other match, you would think, oh, these are the overhyped. This is what people think is great, guys. And their execution was phenomenal, but they did not tell a really... They did not execute as well as they could have. But Quentin, th- feel free. I think I think that they wrestled a match that's completely antithetical to what these guys' strengths are as wrestlers. That, to me, is like the main takeaway. And I feel like there should have been, uh, been more build-up here. I think they should have definitely kind of slow walked the dog here and eventually got to these fireworks and stuff like that. And make, But I think that these are two guys that are capable of holding your attention, doing the more simple, doing the more simplistic, minimalist stuff. If they, if they, if they choose to do that, they have both pretty solid, pretty solid, pretty solid backgrounds that can go on the mat, I think pretty well. So to me is, I, I think that these two just, wrestled a match and wrestled in the type of way that like 
maybe Daniel Garcia works that kind of style, right? But Daniel Garcia works that kind of style and he's been a babyface. Him being the hard-hitting heel isn't a, a regular thing for Daniel Garcia. And this kind of match isn't like a typical thing for for Lee Moriarty. Not that like Alex, like Alex Shelley beat the, beat the shit out of him, right? He chopped him, fought him pretty hard. But those are still building to these bigger fireworks, even if there was like a quick pace. I think that these two just didn't work a match that caters to both of their strengths. And they're both younger, younger, younger guys, and they can figure and they can figure that out with time. And I feel like these are two guys, barring someone getting signed, the that they will have more chances to figure this out. But I think that here, while this was decent, I think that they just wrestled a match that didn't really cater to either one of these guys. Yeah, it's interesting because I've seen Lee obviously be good as a underdog babyface. And I've also seen him be good dominant on top of what we talked about with like the Edith Surreal match. Yeah, but, um, but like, where but he like can... this is, this is here, you're asking him to be like a like brawling valiant babyface here. Yeah. He can't do the like walking tall babyface thing. He can be he can be a dominant champion and he can be an underdog but he can't really be yeah like the the kind of walking tall like brawling type like baby face and yeah it's it's interesting because i think that like in some contexts it'd be pretty easy to think that this makes more sense because it's more basic to just have it be submission no rope breaks um because it's like really simple but in a lot of ways, as you said, to do the build and to get to where they wanted to here, this match would have been better if they had done it like pure rules. Right. If they had had a number of rope breaks that you could, you know, at some point you run out of them. So you can tell the same story because even with the way that they built up, you kind of saw the dynamic play where it would have been really easy to have put in the like using up the rope break stuff throughout it to build to no rope break. Like it's very interesting to think because I think the pure rules have gotten shit on historically for a long time, but since they've come back more and smarter wrestlers have been doing it like with the John Gresham and Jeremy Wyatt stuff, I've really started to see that you can make the pure rules style work really well. All you need is just to get people to buy into the rules, which was was the part that made it not work early on in ROH is that they gave up on it too quick before letting it like kind of really build build the build the thing because even the Nigel Pure Championship run got to the point where like the pure rules were actually really good like he was able to make it work super well right you just need I, I, people who are putting I, effort I think, into it yeah I think the people that always always focus on the bad of the pure rules and not focus on how good it was when it was when it was hitting yeah when you do it correctly and you have wrestlers who put effort into it you can really make it into something special but you had so many wrestlers who just didn't really think about it or care like i think we both like aj styles a bunch but aj styles doing pure wrestling like you don't expect him he's not just gonna put the thought into that it's too much extra like not that he not that he can't do it but like that's not his thing yeah you need guys who are really nerdy about wrestling. And these are two guys who I think are nerdy enough about wrestling that they could have made... If they had done this pure rules instead of the way that they did, I think it would have actually been a better match. Um, because it could have helped build the story a little bit better. Yeah. That said, I yeah, I'm with you that, like, this just... It just did not quite click. And their other match was so much better. And their other match, realistically, their first match in Freelance felt like it had a lot more fireworks. Like, I don't know, Lee just... Lee felt muted here. I think 
you talked about it, but it's just not really doing a lot of his better stuff. Like, this is a weird thing to think because I think that so many people keep giving Lee Moriarty all this credit for being such a great technical wrestler, and he is very good, but he's a fireworks wrestler. He does a lot of high spots. Like, they're not, like, flying off the top ropes, 450s and stuff, but he does a lot of flashy stuff with, like, a lot of quick movement and things that, like, stand out with, like, you know, like, the dynamic, the dynamics, the dynamism, eh, whatever, of what's going on. So, like, yeah, like, this felt like it was really toned down, and they were trying to, I think they were trying to tell a story, and you talked about the needing more of a build or more of a story, and I, I think that they were trying too hard to think that their last match was enough of a build to mean that now we could tell a story that's, not, like... Maybe not just that, like, thinking of, like, the status of these two guys. This is Daniel Garcia, uh... You know, limitless champion. Uh, not sure if he still is currently, but former, like you know, of uh, what C four C four champion, one of the highlight guys of the current indie wrestling landscape and WrestleMania weekend. Lee Moriarty and the buzz that he has going on, the Alex Shelley series and everything else. Like it felt like they thought the status of these two guys spoke for itself, so they didn't have to do like the legwork within the match to create any actual. Uh, tension or investment here because you're already invested because of the, because these two guys are in it which i can understand because these are you know theoretically this is a pretty big match right when we look when we look at the u.s independent wrestling landscape this is a pretty big match but with that being said this is these are two new younger guys that are relatively inexperienced that don't have many people around at this point to help guide them and teach them these uh, certain things so you're pretty much just sending young guys out there on their own on their own devices and this is something that in the in the slack we've talked about like why iwa mid-south in its peak when you have all these different guys from all over the region who are coming in and they're at different experience levels and all that kind of stuff but they come to a place like iwa mid-south and that lets you go and figure these things out. It's not the biggest, you know, relatively they're, they're, they're running sometimes twice a week and there's 20, 30, 40 people in attendance, but you get to try shit out, figure out what works and learn. The main thing is you learn. And while I don't, while I think that Lee, Lee Moriarty and Daniel Garcia are talented guys, I think that a system like that is really missing right now in independent wrestling where these two guys are they really going to get better because if these are the top if they're the top guys right now and you can't really and you can't tell me that there is that many people that are above Lee Moriarty or Daniel Garcia what incentive is there to improve or not just do whatever the fuck you want to do yeah no that's there's definitely I mean the IWA shows obviously famously went for like way too long and had way too many matches but there was some kind of like there was a bit of a confines of the idea that like yeah like you said you're you're just here you're just wrestling um and you're just grinding it out and getting better and and again it's it's not like if like if you're if you're wrestling twice a week in iwa mid-south right so if you're jimmy jacobs or al and alex shelley in 2003 and you might get booked for these two different indiana towns or whatever like 
it's not gonna be it's not gonna be the same audience each time. It might 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 be some of the same people uh, when you like repeat towns and everything, but you're gonna figure out how to do different things because it's pretty much the equivalent 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 of touring, like that like that's what you know one of the better parts about about tour about touring and everything, and I think I think that that just kind of thing is missing that learning that learning that learning that you're young and hungry you gotta go figure these things out so when Alex Shelley and Jimmy Jacobs go out there and they wrestle each other on like five or six straight IWA Mid-South shows they have to figure out how to make it different each time they can't go out there and have the same match every single time they have to approach it with a different intensity different pace different uh different structural work that carry that carries the middle portions and the bulk of the story of the match they have to figure these things out and while I think that Lee Moriarty has that capacity, I think that Daniel Garcia has that capacity, when you are already the top guys in a scene and you've only been around for however many years, or in the case of Lee Moriarty, you had like a really rapid out of nowhere ascension, what is what is the desire, where is the need, where is the urgency, then the agency to, I'm going to take this time to like figure this out and like, really hone it hone it in and learn because you can be in, you can be you can be NXT the next day right and you probably will be and the other part of it too is that like fans sink their teeth in and they say they start talking about you as the best guy in the world like they're doing with Lee Moriarty already like they're starting to do more and more with Daniel Garcia and you don't really you start to get to a point where you don't really have to worry because fans nowadays don't fucking turn on people Fans nowadays, a guy starts to get some buzz, and then they start tweeting about how they're the greatest wrestler in the world, and now they can't say, actually, that guy sucks, because there's receipts. Because people will drag up some old thing and be like, is this you? You actually said this guy was great, now you're saying he's bad? And it's like, yeah, your opinion can change, and people can, like, regress, or even not regress, but they just get stagnant and it gets boring, but a lot of these people will not admit it. So a lot of the fans now are like, you're the greatest. They're just going to continue to always say that you're the greatest. They've bought into you. They're never going to admit that you're not, you know, you're actually, this was a bad match. Or, you know, I won't even say that this match was bad. I'm not saying that this particular Garcia-Moriarty match was bad, but I would say it was very disappointing. And I would say that, like, yeah, like, I think that a ton of people have so much riding personally on the idea that these guys are so great that they're not going to admit that, like... Yeah, and and being... being, and being right, and being right too, like the desire to be like you were, you were in on somebody before everyone else was in on somebody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you just want to continue to like prove that you know what you're talking about. So this guy that you say is great has nothing but great matches, um, constantly. So yeah, like you don't, you don't have to work to get any better because you're already the best, and you don't have to worry because no one's going to turn on you because they don't want to admit that they were wrong. So yeah, it does turn into this cycle where like, why is he? Why are these people going to work? We don't have any crowds. Crowds nowadays don't chant "you fucked up," and I don't think that it's a great thing to say. But you don't ever get any fucking crowds that are even like slightly combative towards the wrestlers. Basically, at this point, if there is crowds, which half the time we don't have live crowds anymore, um, you know, because of the pandemic. But realistically, like, when was the last time you really heard a crowd like boo someone? It's been a long time, even before the pandemic where crowds really turned on people and, like, fucking, like, booed a match for it not being good. Not necessarily even, like, boo someone because they're a heel, but 
like just like completely turn off on like a match because it's bad you don't really get that anymore so it's just like yeah they, they don't grow they don't get better because they don't have to because all they do is they like show up get some buzz and then wwe signs them and then that's their career and then and then it's over and unfortunately these guys feel like feel like they're heading that way i hope not lee moriarty from what i've heard doesn't seem like he's a wants to go to wwe guy so we'll see what happens yeah his end goal is probably japan but at the same time like yeah buddy you know got some got some got some news for you on that one (laughs) yeah right exactly um any 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 anything anything else on this stuff uh no not much else on this just yeah you know normal normal everyday things quentin uh yeah i guess if you want to whatever you have to say and then you can close her out uh i guess yeah i guess this is it like i said like i said in the beginning this is sort of feels like a low period i don't know if it's us personally not sure if it is wrestling itself but uh things that things definitely seem a little bit on a little bit on the downside a little bit on the downside right now doesn't mean the shows will be going away or anything. Just if they skew shorter like this one, which I'm perfectly fine with this being an hour and a half. But, but uh, you know, if this continues to be the norm, I don't, I don't, I doubt any of you will complain, and I think we'll all be good here. But thank you all for listening, and hope you're next time. I'm not a bad guy, 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 I'm not a bad guy,